Good morning. Out of Billy Graham's book this morning, we have Witness to the World. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 15. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. Nearly everyone he associated with was an outcast. But his relationship with them was not social. It was purely redemptive. We must not get our worlds mixed up at this point. God meant that we are not to mingle with the world and be polluted by the world, but we are to be witnesses to the world. We are to weep with those who weep. We are to suffer with those who suffer and to identify ourselves with the poor, the sick, and the needy in mind, body, and spirit. How else can we reach them for Christ? We are to love those who are involved in the world without being contaminated by the world or influenced or swayed by them. We achieve this distinction only by a close walk with Christ. Like him, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. It is good for a ship to be in the sea, but bad when the sea gets in the ship. The hope for today, we are not to avoid the world. We are to engage it with a godly purpose. We are to set ourselves to share the, the salvation message of Christ and proclaim freedom to the captive to meet in, and meet them in their captivity. Well, Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you. <clears throat> We thank you, Lord, even for this message to equip us to everywhere we go in each situation that we become the, those who carry the truth of the gospel to everyone we meet, young and old, that we might see them become strong and committed to Jesus Christ, that they may eternally be situated with him rather than apart from him. We praise you and thank you for this time, and we ask you to bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen.
This is from Joshua, um, 24th chapter, 13th through the 15th verses. I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say that? We will serve the Lord. Now we're going to read the 23rd Psalm, and if you would like to remain seated, you may do that with my blessing. If you'd like to stand, that's good too. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I'd like to greet one another this morning.
Our New Testament reading today comes from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. You now join us in our responsive reading. Your light is the only light I need as I travel through life's mystery. Your word, the only voice I hear, still small voice that leads me to the place where I should be. Your presence is the only company I need. As I walk this narrow road, your fellowship, the warmth I crave to help me on my way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created, you created the universe. You put everything in, in place and in motion. Lord, and you had, you had a reason for each thing. And for us, the reasons are hard to fathom why you love us so. We can be such un we can be faithful or we can be very unfaithful. But Lord, you gave us your son to forgive us of our sins. The perfect gift, the perfect the perfect lamb. But then Lord, amongst other things you've entrusted things to us, but you call us to give back, to share those, those gifts that were, you have blessed us with. So Lord, we ask you to guide us in the use of these gifts that they may further your kingdom. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You're in rise for the doxology.
Well, we're continuing on our uh, series. We're, we're going to uh, be talking about the seven churches of Revelation found in chapters 1 through 3. Uh, but we're going to try to give the, the background of that in uh, Revelation chapter 1. So uh, we'll continue. We did verses 1 through 8 last week, and we'll do 9 through 20 through, through the end of the chapter this week. And then, uh, and then we'll start, uh, next week we'll start with uh, what the Lord was giving to uh, the church in Ephesus. So, so let's read this, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos. Remember, that's off of, uh, that's a Greek island now, off of the, off of, uh, pretty much off of Turkey because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, that's on that Sunday, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he gives, lists the seven churches in kind of a horseshoe pattern. Uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum, all of whom are on the coast, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, uh, more inland. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Well, the first thing I'd like to um, <clears throat> talk about is that no one who has seen the eyes of Jesus could ever forget them. Uh, you know, it says he, he had a, the eyes of blazing, like blazing fire, and nobody who has ever seen Jesus will ever forget, um, you know, what, what he's like. His eyes either drew people to him or forced them against him. And some people, they, you know, they, they went the other direction. But if we see the eyes of Jesus and we understand Jesus' love for us, his, his care for us, um, <clears throat> it, it just draws us like a magnet to him uh, because of who he is. Some were terrified to see the penetrating look of, look of Christ, but others are drawn by that. Uh, we were talking about in Sunday school, and you know how, how so many times, um, you know, we want Jesus to penetrate and look at us and reveal those things that are not right. John three nineteen. This is the verdict: Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. We are drawn to the light. 
so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done, that what he has done has been done through God. So we're either uh, drawn to Jesus or we are forced away from Jesus. Uh, not forced away, but we, we are drawn away from Jesus because of the, of the sin that's within us. And also see in this that his face was like the sun. His eyes like burning fire and his face like the sun. Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. I mean, can you imagine you know, looking, looking at the face of Jesus, and it, it is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. That's who Jesus is. We see this in the transfiguration as well. Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James. Remember we talked about that last, last week, that John, James, and, and Peter were the inner, kind of the inner circle of, of Jesus' uh, disciples with them, and he went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance on his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So whenever we see this resurrected Lord, we see these incredible images. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor. All right? When, when, when Jesus is, you know, in his resurrected state, when we see him, it's in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Now, you cannot see the glory of Christ and forget, and forget it, can you? I mean, you, you can't. When we honestly see, and, and deep within, we see this, who Jesus is, we, we are changed, and we see his glory. Um, I've, I've listed, um, go ahead and uh, um, the next slides. Okay, ne next one. Oops, okay. All right, well, let me, let me get there. I'll, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> um, but when we encounter the risen Christ, we're changed. And I, I think I've told you this story. I can't remember whether I've... I've shared it with you or not before, but when Caroline and I were, were uh, first saved and we first gave our hearts to Christ, and it probably wasn't a week later, a couple weeks later, um, and we were living in the, in the, in the, in the um, alongside a stream, Tulsalsen Farm, southern, southern Oregon, and we had gone up to uh, one commune, which was up, up, the, up the hill a bit, uh, called the Ohm Zone, Okay, it was a crazy, crazy, you know, these guys, they under, actually, a lot of you understand those crazy days, and where, you know, we were, we were strange. Anyway, um, and we're, we're walking down the street, we're walking down this path uh, toward our farm, which was Tulsausen Farm, and, and Caroline said, you won't believe what I just saw, and she, and I, and she started to describe she just saw the heavens open in the glory of God. And she turned to me and she said, she said, you know, let me describe what I just saw. And I said, I just saw the same thing. And God revealed himself, his glory to us. It's the only, I, you know, I can't, 
I can't even tell you exactly what it was, you know, and what we saw and so on, but, it, but we saw the glory of God, and we saw it together. I mean, God was so gracious. He showed us together his glory. And I'll tell you, our lives were changed at that moment. And we have never been the same since then because we've seen the glory of God. And that's what's happening, um, you know, in this revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says he was like a son of man, Daniel 7, 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached, and I love this, this, uh, <clears throat> this phrase. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Wow. The ancient of days. What, a, what an incredible description. And Jesus used this title, the Son of Man, many times, taken out of Daniel, um, to describe who he is. That was his favorite title for himself. So no one who has understood who Christ is can ever forget him. Verse 13 through 16. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, we just talked about that, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. Isn't that incredible? Now, now we get to these, these uh, <clears throat> the next. Okay, so we see then, I'm going to step aside here. Um, this majesty of God. And in Europe, in many of the cathedrals in Europe, the, the idea was to, was to uh, display the, the glory and majesty of God. So this is uh, Notre Dame, before the fire, of, obviously. Uh, cathedral in Paris. This is Westminster Abbey. I mean, just look at that. Does that look like the glory of God? Um, and then St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna. I mean, look at that. That's, an, that's incredible. Displaying the majesty of God. And the next one. Uh, this is Hagia Sophia in Istanbul that we've been to many times. Actually, we've been to all these. Um, and then the next one. St. Basil's Cathedral in, in Moscow. And the next one. In the Sistine Chapel. How many have been to the Sistine Chapel? Okay, we've been there, but it was closed when we went. But, uh, and then the next slide. But we also see the majesty of God in nature. Okay, and, and, and in my opinion, God does it better. <laughs> okay, the next slide. And this is uh, the Grand Canyon. Uh, shot at just, there's four of these on the Grand Canyon. Just go ahead and through those. Okay. Now, does that look like the majesty of God? Um, God, does, you know, in all his majesty, in all his glory. And yet, Jesus is more majestic. You know, when you read this description of Jesus, it's more majestic than all those cathedrals, than all the grand, all that the Grand Canyon you know, can, can show us, is the majesty and the wonder and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so John was overwhelmed when he saw Jesus. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. 
So when we encounter Christ, that vision overwhelms us. Does it not? How many, you know, can, can you say you've seen the glory of God? Any? Yes. Okay. Um, it, it's an overwhelming. Now, I'm not saying you're a lesser Christian if you haven't seen the glory of God. I'm just saying that all of us need to see the glory of God, the risen Christ. And, and we can be praying for that. We can pray that, pray that we can encounter Christ. So who is this risen Christ? Well, verse 18 says, I am the living one. Um, he is alive. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever ever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So when we see Jesus then, Jesus, we see, he holds the keys of death and Hades. That is, Christ has power over death. Okay? He has complete power over death. And he has complete power over Hades. He took the keys of Hades. And the ancient church taught that when Jesus descended into Hades, the region of the dead, he unlocked the doors and brought out Abraham and all God's faithful people who had lived and died in the generations before. And we get this in the Apostles' Creed. When I was, um, I was a, grew up in the Episcopal Church, and we always said, I think it was every Sunday, we said this Apostles' Creed. How many of you said that? Every, every, yeah, a, a lot of people. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell. Okay? That's, that's this phrase that, that Jesus uh, holds the keys of Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he came to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay. So that's kind of our confession of faith. And so we, you know, we say in this Apostles' Creed that Jesus descended into hell and took the keys, okay, took the keys away from the, from the devil and took the keys the, the, and all the authority for this realm of the dead. Christ took the keys of the realm of the dead. I, um, you know, one of the things that's been happening is this, this horrible war in Ukraine. And I got an email from, um, I, I've been on a number of calls three or four times now, maybe five times, um, by a, it's a fellow called Valentin, and he is the president of, a, of an institute called the Tavrisky Christian Institute in Hirsan. And Hirsan, if you remember, uh, is under occupation of the Russians now. And so here is some of the uh, uh, email that he sent. He says, recently I talked with our staff who are still in Russian-occupied Hirsan. Among the other questions, we talked about a sense of hope as we are getting closer to celebrating Easter. I was deeply touched by some of their statements. Here's two of the, three of the statements. I am ready to die, one person says, and I don't know whether I will survive to celebrate Easter. The date when we celebrate Easter doesn't really matter. What matters is Jesus' resurrection. Um, and I remember on, on the call, uh, it, was, it was on Friday, 
and one of the fellows in it was in here, son. And um, <coughs> during the call, he was in here, son, and um, and relating. He had, he had actually been gone outside of here, son, and for just a rest, and he went back in. He was a pastor. He, he said, I can't leave my people. Um, another one said, Easter to me is peace in my heart. We are ready to see the worst, but we hope for the better. Another one. Well, no. Uh, that's just those two. So Jesus has all authority over death. And these people are, are, are realizing that Jesus holds all the power of death, life and death and Hades and whatever comes. 2 Timothy 1.9, this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Christ destroyed death. He obliterated it and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Jesus has all power over life and death. He holds the keys of death and Hades. One commentator says this, To the risen Lord has been given power over death as the last enemy of man. And how many people you know, have, do I know who have confessed to me that they are, that they, they are scared of death? But we as Christians, we do not need to fear death. Isn't that incredible? We do not need to fear death. And he goes on to say, in the realm of the dead into which all men will pass. Again, this is an assertion of authority such as God alone possesses. Death and the grave, therefore, hold no terror for God's people. We are not afraid of death. Nor need they fear those who have the power to inflict and send them to the grave. And so that's what we saw in these statements, that these Christians are saying, I, I'm not afraid. Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the, in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Acts, and I love this one, Acts 13.3.15, you killed the author of life. I've, I've talked about this before, but it just always, it always hit me, that you can't kill the one who brought life to life. <laughs> the one who is the author of life, the one in whom all life exists, you cannot kill. Romans 14, 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the life, living. So Jesus is revealed then in this scripture um, as a prophet, as a priest, and a king, Okay. And Exodus 28, verse 4, these are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, and a turban and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. So when Jesus is shown as having a long robe, it's the long robe of the high priest. And Jesus became our high priest. Now a priest is somebody who, who represents us to God. Okay, um, he, is, he is one who, who brings us into the throne of God in Hebrews chapter 7. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. So Jesus became then a permanent high priest. Therefore he is able to save completely 
Those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. So as a high priest then, Jesus intercedes for us with the Father. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day by after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. When Jesus offered himself on the cross, he offered himself as a high priest. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he, he hung as a priest, as, as one who offered us access to God permanently. He was also... This was the dress of a king, 1 Samuel 18, 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing, gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So, so there, the king would wear a long robe as well. And the long robe was the robe of royalty. So Christ is, is, a, is our high priest, but he is also our king. Revelation 17, 14, they will make war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. And then Revelation 19, 16, on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus is going to ride, you know, victoriously. The first time he became as the Lamb. The second time, Jesus is going to come, <clears throat> dressed on his steed. He is with the, with the name written on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Christ is our high priest. He represents us to God, but he is also our king. He has, and as a king, he has absolute rule over everything. Everything is under his authority. Furthermore, he is a prophet, Daniel 10. Five and six, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body, body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. So Jesus is not only a high priest, he is a king, he is also a prophet. Now, a prophet is somebody who represents God to the people. He takes the, 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 the message that God gives and presents it to the people. And one commentator said this, We see that by the very dress of the risen Lord, he is showing, us to, showing him to us in his threefold eternal pro office of prophet, priest, and king. The one who brings the truth of God the one who enables others to enter into the presence of God, the one to whom God has given the power and the dominion and the throne forever. That's our Jesus, isn't it? That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. So as a prophet, Christ proclaimed truth as the faithful witness of God. As priest, he lives to make intercession for us. As king, he is triumphant over every power and authority. He is gloriously above all things. That's our Jesus. He is majestic, glorious, and all-powerful. Furthermore, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. 
Daniel 7, 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. So this description speaks of the great age of Jesus, the Ancient of Days. Jesus always was. There never was a time when Jesus was not. It also talks of his divine purity. Hair on his head was white like wool, and white is, is the symbol or is the uh, symbol of, of purity and whiteness. In Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. And so what Jesus offers as the high priest is that even though our sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. We will be purified from all unrighteousness. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. <clears throat> and that goes back to Daniel chapter 10. His body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. And so his voice like the sound of a multitude, and one commentator described it this way, that John is sitting on, in Patmos. Patmos, as I've told you before, is a thir 13 square miles, a very small island out in the Aegean. There's a lot of islands out there. And he's sitting out there, and he can hear the Aegean Sea uh, rushing and the sound of the water when it's, when it's rougher. And one commentator compared the description to the roar of the Aegean. He says this, The voice of God can be terrifying like the thunder of the Aegean or sweet like a gentle breeze. The voice of God can thunder its terrifying and majestic rebuke. And the voice of God can croon with the soothing comfort of a mother over her hurt child. That's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. He is... He is sovereign over all things. He, can, he roars in like the roaring the Aegean, but he's also calm and soothing like a mother with her hurt child. Ezekiel 43, 1. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of God on, of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. That's our Jesus, isn't it? That's our Jesus, radiant. Out of his mouth came a shovel dart, sharp double-edged sword. Hebrews 4.19, 4.12, I'm sorry. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word of God is sharp and active, and it cuts between that which is right and that which is wrong, and that which is soul and that which is spirit. It 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 cuts and reveals truth. So, no one who has encountered the risen Christ can stop proclaiming to others who he is. Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and companion. And this, is, you know, this is the first verse that introduces this whole passage. And it says this, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos, now listen to this, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he was there because he, had, he refused to shut up. 
They tried to get him to stop proclaiming Jesus. And he said, I'm not going to do that. And so they, they exiled him. Uh, we talked about this last week. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. So, what's the lesson in it for us? Let's set our course to experience the risen Christ and to proclaim him to everyone we can with the time we have left. Uh, we had a neat experience uh, yesterday. Um, our neighbors have a... Uh, um, they had a yard sale. It's the first one since we've been there. We've, we've been neighbors for 32 years, and, and they, they, they uh, hadn't had a yard sale, but they had one yesterday, Friday and Saturday. And, and so um, one of the young men that went to that uh, was, an, was a, another neighbor of ours who moved away many years ago. And we're sitting there uh, yesterday afternoon. It was actually in the morning, about 11 o'clock. And we get a knock on the door, and this young man comes, and he says, he says, hi, I'm Robbie. And he said, I used to live next door to you. And, and he said, um, you know, I just wanted to come and say hi to you. And it just, it, it reminded me so much. And he, you know, he had lived there, he and his family had lived right next door to us uh, on the other side of it for how many years? For 15 years. When, when the, yeah. Yeah, so I've uh, been there quite a while. And, and we just really reached out and loved this family and so on. And it just reminded me, you know, he came back because he, there was something that he knew that we would welcome him, you know. And, and I, I just thought of that, that, you know, we, we want our lives to be a constant proclamation of the love and the words of Christ, First of all, our love and our character, but then out of that then are the words of Christ in encouraging people. And when we see the risen Christ, that's what we want to do, isn't it? We want to, we want to proclaim who Jesus is. When we see the risen Lord and the glory of God, it transforms our lives. Philippians 3, 7 and following says this, but whatever was to my prophet... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Nothing else matters when we have Jesus. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and I, this is, I love this phrase, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So that's who we are. We, we forget those things that we're behind and we press on toward the things of Christ. So we need to be praying two prayers. The first prayer 
is that we would encounter the living Christ. That in our lives we will encounter the living, breathing Christ, the resurrected Christ in our own lives. And second of us, that secondly, that, that others that whom we know will encounter Christ as well. To me, those two prayers... We pray, God, I want to know you more. I want to know who you are. I want a vision of who you really are. And secondly, I want to proclaim to others who you really are. There's a young man in, um, in this, when we were in our ministry in Turkey. The next slide then. There we go. Um, that's Davut and Panar in Cairo, their daughter. And Davud and Panar, um, when, we, uh, when we first got involved in ministry in Turkey, um, we adopted the, actually, Bergam, or the old Pergamum in the New Testament, and, and then Dikili and Ivalik, three little towns. Um, they kind of form a triangle. And so we did a lot. We took teams in, and we taught English classes, and we evangelized. And we just, we just developed friendships and so on. Well, after we had been there a while, an American couple moved in. And I might add, when we started there, there were no believers in any of those towns whatsoever. Um, we, you know, we asked people, and nobody knew of anybody who was a Christian. Now, maybe they were secret Christians, but, but there were no Christians. And so this American couple moved to Dikili. This was, what, like three or four years later, um, after we had evangelized, that, not evangelized, but just prayer walked and, and uh, made friends, friendship evangelism in that region. Well, anyway, they came, and they had known this couple, Davut and Panar, in, down in Marmaris, uh, which is way down, uh, quite, a, quite a ways away. But they both got jobs in the hospital. And they were believers. And so, um, you know, we, uh, you know, they worked with this couple and so on. And, and it was about two or three years later. And we went to see them one time. And Panar, um, on the, in the middle there, is one of the, has one of the sweetest spirits I've ever met. I mean, she's just so pure-hearted. It was just incredible. But Davut kind of lagged behind, okay? Um, you know, Always, always kind of behind his wife, you know, in terms of his spiritual walk. But one time we went to see him, and we, we pull in, and they're, they're, in, um, they're in an apartment overlooking the Aegean, okay? So same thing as, as with John of Patmos. And, and we walk in, and Davut is just shining. And we said, Davut, what happened? And he said, I've got to tell you what happened to me. He said, they went to a conference and uh, we're, we're prayed for and, and so on. And he said, um, we came home, and not much happened at the conference. He said, we came home, and about three days later after that conference, I was just sitting in my chair, and he said, the Holy Spirit just, boom, fell on me. <laughs> he said, I just, it just washed over me. Just, and he said, I just felt this, this electricity just going from my head all the way down to my feet. And, and he started to speak in tongues, and he he just, he said, I was filled with the Spirit. And, and, and what he said was, was, was so interesting to me. He said, since then, 
all I've wanted to do is two things. I want to worship, and I want to tell people about Jesus. So that's all I want to do. And that's all he's done. And so, you know, they, they get, they've gotten in trouble a few times and so on. But they, you know, they want to, they, they are, they're full of, full of the Holy Spirit, want to worship and tell other people about Jesus. So what I'm saying to you is this, that we need to see the risen Christ. We need to, you know, have, a, have an experience with the Holy Spirit, however that comes. So that, and just filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we can proclaim the goodness of Christ and proclaim Christ's presence to the world. That whatever it takes, that, that God will just fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we, not that we, you know, so that we have to go out and tell other people about who Jesus is. You know, well, okay, I'm supposed to evangelize, but we, we get to. And that's where Davut was. Davut wanted to, it was in his heart to go out and tell other people about Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. And I thank you that your presence is fullness of joy. And in your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is, is, is just everything that we desire, everything that our hearts long for. And I pray for each person in this congregation this morning that we will experience the risen Christ not the dead one not the one who was in the grave but the one who rose from the dead that we will experience the living Christ in our lives we will experience the Holy Spirit in our life and fill us Lord to overflowing so that our desire is to share the goodness of God with whomever we come across and we thank you and we praise you and we praise you for your goodness, for your love, and especially for what you've done for each one of us. Lord, help us to be whom you want us to be. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
<laughs> let us pray. Heavenly Father, let us see the glory of your Son. Let him appear to each one of us in your time in his own way, that we know, that we can be witness to that amazing, just that amazing experience, Lord, of being in your presence and feeling that presence, seeing that presence, and knowing that once that is seen, it will be with you forever. You're with us always anyway, but uh, it's like the cherry on the top, Lord. <laughs> so we ask you for that and that, that we get to be part of that group. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.